1: as a business owner are you continually searching for less stress more time freedom and increased profits prosper for business by mackie might be the solution you've been looking for prosper for business is both an executive coaching program and fractional cfo service designed to deliver exceptional results through increased education visibility and accountability Prosper for Business graduate Jude Hemmen, CEO of Furlong Building Enterprises, said, The decision to work with Mackey was a life changer. They truly care about our success and give us the tools to do so. Working with the Mackey team also helped Julie Bach, owner of the Bach Group, see things in the business she hadn't seen before that led her to the business being more efficient, productive, and profitable. Does Prosper for Business sound like the right next step for your business? Visit mackeyadvisors.com slash smallgiants. That's M-A-C-K-E-Y advisors.com slash smallgiants to learn more. My
0: guest today is Lauren Adams. Lauren is a partner and director of operations for the Center for Financial Planning in Southfield, Michigan. She works with clients and their families to meet their financial planning goals. And as director of operations, she oversees the entire service experience for their clients. Lauren is also a graduate of the Small Giants Leadership Academy. Welcome, Lauren.
2: Hi, Paul. Thank you for having me. It's so great to be here.
0: Yeah, I, I'm so glad to have you on the podcast and to hear about your journey. Uh, first, you know, tell us about C- Center for Financial Planning. What do you guys do? Who do you serve? How many people in the in the business? And maybe a little bit more about your role.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So Center for Financial Planning is a privately held wealth management firm. So we do uh, wealth management. The way we think of it is investment management and financial planning together. We serve about a thousand families, and um, right around now, especially after the market pullback last year, it, we. Manage about one and a half billion dollars in assets for our clients. We are located in Metro Detroit, but we have clients all over the country, and we work with them to uh, our the families uh, to meet all their financial goals, whether it's retirement planning or charitable giving goals or education funding for their children Um, we really serve as kind of their financial quarterback uh, managing their investments as well as all aspects of their financial life that we can partner with them on
0: and for you I know your role has changed in in the firm and you were originally a stock analyst is that correct
2: yeah, so before coming to uh, the center, I was a stock analyst at the independent research firm Morningstar, and uh, when my husband and I decided to move back to my home state of Michigan, uh, I pivoted to personal financial planning, and I found the center. So um, I have an investing background, which serves me well in my current role, but um, my initial role uh, at the center was overseeing our client service team. So um, Our clients have a lead financial planner. Uh, Sometimes they have another advisor, an associate financial planner, and then a client service professional that helps them with their day-to-day needs. So I started managing our team of client service associates, and then the role has kind of grown over time to general firm operations, and I felt a call to be more and more involved on the financial advising side of things over time, and that has grown as a portion of my role over time. And that's also allowed the opportunity for kind of others to step up and become leaders and fill some of the the shoes that I had in the past.
0: Now, when you moved from stock analyst, what was the reason for that? I'm sure you had, you know, could have done something similar when you moved back home. Yeah. Um, <laughs> why move into financial planning?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, So, you know, it was a wonderful way to start my career and really, you know, Get my investment chops, really is the best way to say it, to um to learn the ins and outs of technical invest in, investment principles. Um, but you know, I could spend hours in front of a computer analyzing financial statements and writing reports without talking to anyone. <laughs> and that isn't <laughs> um, that just isn't what it isn't me. Um, and also, you know, I um I got the chartered financial analyst um, designation and um earned my MBA over time when I was at Morningstar, but so pe- so people in my life would you know like, Lauren is a finance person. Let's go to her with all of our finance questions. But just because I knew I covered biotechnology stocks, I could tell you you know what I thought about my biotechnology stocks, but I couldn't necessarily tell the people I cared about you know what to do with their Roth IRA or how to read an annuity statement. And it was always very frustrating to me that I didn't have that personal financial planning knowledge to help people that were important to me. So when I had the opportunity to pivot with my career and we moved back to Michigan, that is the path I went down. And it has been so rewarding.
0: Mm, that's a great a great way to transition um, where you felt like, um, yeah, I can be good at this job, but it's a little isolating mm-hmm. and I can't really use a lot of those tools with the people that mean the most to me in my life. And then I want to be able to do that. So, you know, kind of make that, that pivot. Um, when, when you think about the thousand or so clients that you guys serve, what's that profile? I mean, you know, a lot of times when we think of wealth management, it can be intimidating. Mm-hmm. Do we need to have a certain amount of money you know, mm-hmm. wh- when do we get to work with somebody like you?
2: Yeah, that's that's another great question. And we um we definitely have, I would think, uh, you know, a, a unique client base in that um, we like to work with, what we, you know, one way to say it is the, the millionaire next door. So some people that are very down to earth who, you know, a lot of our clients, they're experts in their field, doctors, business owners, teachers, just, you know, People that have saved, done the right thing for years and years and years and years. They've spent their whole life saving and they're approaching retirement. And now they're asked, to, do I have enough money to retire? And what do I do? How do I transition mm-hmm. from saving, which I have my whole life, to spending? Um, how do I do that? How do I know that I'm I'm not spending too much or too little? So I actually enjoy my money. Um, so we get to be the experts for clients who are experts in their own field. And, right. you know, it, and that is that is a really unique and special place to be. So I would say our, our typical clients um, find us when they're age 50 to 65, um, but we have plenty of clients that are much younger and much older than that. Um, they value a professional relationship. So, you know, if somebody wants to do it themselves all the time, probably isn't a good fit for us. And, you know, have, um, usually investable assets of about 500,000 or more, but we, we can serve people with less or certainly more than that. Um, so that would say, I would say is our typical um, client.
0: Mm-hmm. And, you know, something I have experienced myself in dealing with financial planners is this idea that um, you could be a holistic resource for things beyond fi- investing, Right, and so whether that's tax management or it's philanthropy, how do you guys manage that? Do you do you have those resources in house and say we can do that with you? Do you work with other professionals outside of the center um, to build a team? How have you been able to uh, accomplish that?
2: Yeah, so we definitely take the holistic approach, as you said. We don't just you know look at. Only our clients' investments for only the accounts they manage. That is definitely not how we do things. We look at, as I mentioned earlier, you know, retirement planning, estate planning, tax planning, charitable giving, education planning, and um, so we do that a variety of ways. The first is that all of our financial planners have to be certified financial planning professionals. as a requirement of our firm. So you know, we are credentialed in all of those different areas outside of just investments. And we have a very Mm. deep um, investment team and investment knowledge here, but we keep the financial planning and the investment management together. We work very closely with our team, um, our clients, other professionals. So we don't have CPAs on staff. Um, We don't, you know, we don't have estate planning attorneys on staff. We do actually have a team member that has experience in that, but that's not what we typically do. Um, we consider ourselves kind of, you know, one of the coordinators for our clients um, team. So we work very closely with their CPAs, their attorneys, you know, every year when we're doing tax planning, we're talking to the CPAs along just the whole way. Um, And then, you know, when it comes to updating an estate plan, making sure financial accounts are titled correctly so that it actually goes or the client's money goes in the way that they want them to, whether it's to charity or family members down the line. Um, we're kind of in the middle of that team.
0: Yeah, the um, this last week, this last year was kind of ugly from a financial standpoint for a lot of people. And you know, um, how, how do you guys get through the tougher years like that? What what's the message um, to clients? Because I'm, uh, you know, uh, I learned. Luckily, years ago from yeah. my trusted financial advisor, just to, you know, be a little less emotional and ride yeah. the wave and, you know, things are going to, you know, even out over time, etc. Um And, you know, then they have their way of kind of saying, but well, look at what we did last year, <laughs> you know, yeah. so you anchoring um, on the highest
2: value. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, so, you know, how, how did you guys manage to wade through um, the volatility last year?
2: Oh yeah. Um, well, I would say you know probably a two-part answer to your question. The first is what you know what was what we were saying to clients, um, and it really was a lot of what you just said. You know, um, we 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 don't we don't want to panic when things are bad. We plan for we plan for we know that every two to three times in a decade, markets will have a negative year on a calendar year basis. So we know it's coming. We want to build portfolios that. Will with that will meet client's financial goal, regardless of what happens in any year in a given index. So we plan for that ahead of time. And when we're in the thick of it, we're always evaluating if adjustments or tweaks should be made, but usually large scale changes in, in the thick of it are the wrong ones. And mm-hmm. just reminding clients you know, looking at their financial goals rather than the absolute dollar number that they might see that day on a statement, that they're still on track to meet their goals, that we have enough cash or, you know, sh- short-term debt securities set aside for them to meet, you know, what they might need that year, reminding them of that um, is, it was our message. And, and, you know, we spent a lot of time <laughs> on, in meetings and calls, especially, you know, as um In in the first half of the year when um, there was a lot of geopolitical uncertainty, inflation was rearing its head. We spent a lot of time with clients. Um, It's really where we, you know, prove our value during the hard times. Um, I would say the second part of your question is, you know, how how does the firm or how do what is the message to the team, Um, you know, We've been really lucky. The center has been around since 1985. So we've lived through many market pullbacks uh, now. And we've been lucky enough, even in the 2009 downturn, to never have to have laid anyone off. Um, When things have gotten bad, sometimes we think creatively about how to maybe um, cut back on certain discretionary items. And I know in the past, our team has gotten together to uh, brainstorm, like if we needed to cut somewhere, how should we as a firm decide to cut and, and team members had input in that. Uh, but even, you know, in, in 2020, 2009, we, we were uh, fortunate enough to not have to make layoffs. And part of it is it, due to just prudent financial planning ahead of time, because um, we are financial planners when it comes down to it. And, um, you know, having just very, being independently owned where we can, our owners can look at the, can, Take some short-term pain for the long-term benefit it has helped us with that.
0: Yeah, um, that, that's a great approach. Uh, and obviously, being financial planners, hopefully, you're good at doing that for the for the firm as well. Um, and having owners who can make those kind of choices—that's um, a great great track record to to speak to. Um, how did you? get interested in the leadership side of it, the the idea that, you know, you went from the real isolated job of being a stock analyst, um, and then when you joined the firm, you were already overseeing um, other client service people. Now you oversee all aspects of the operation. What got you interested in the, the leadership aspect of the firm?
2: I would That's a good question, and I um, <laughs> it just kind of happened, Paul. <laughs> um, I would say, you know, Morningstar, I... In my stock analyst days i was already feeling that itch to like be have more interaction with people and to um i've always loved teaching and training um i thought maybe at one point in my life i would be a teacher or a professor uh so but when i ended morningstar at the end there i was overseeing our team of brand new analysts so i was the manager of all the new stock analysts working with them as they learned how to be analysts and learn those skills um so that when i applied for the job at the center um, that was some experience that helped me get the job managing our client service team, um, but I think it it comes down to you know wanting to teach and wanting to work with people instead of being off on my own little island is probably um, how I would answer it. Although it's it's good I, it, this is a this is already a good experience having this conversation with you because I I hadn't actually thought about that it just kind of happened.
0: <laughs> and, well. Where did all this come from? Let us let me take you back a little bit to kind of the early days, even in your childhood. It, it, were there any leadership influences growing up, you know, with your parents, uh, early jobs, uh, before Morningstar, you know, school experiences?
2: Yeah, I would say um, I had to think about that. How would I end up in maybe the path I'm on now? Um, I would say, you know, in my family, and uh, I definitely got messages of, you know, hard work, um, achievement. They were valued, rewarded. It was something that, um, you know, I always placed a, a emphasis on is, you know, hard work, uh, getting good grades, putting in extra time, studying for tests, education. Um, so I think that, you know, maybe helped drive a lot of where I am today, but also, I had another kind of counterbalancing message in my life too, from my family and from, you know, my youth pastor, for example, about, you know, working for the greater good or the greater purpose. Um, And those things together, I think were formative for me. Um, And, you know, even though I went and got a degree in finance and I got my CFA and my MBA from the University of Chicago, I never really wanted to work for, you know, Wall Street Investment Bank, for example. Um, I was always attracted to companies that were different, companies mm. that um, had great culture, who had great mission. Um, so I think that those um, formative experiences uh, and then also, you know, just I've only worked for, I've I've been in my working life out of college for 14 years now, and I've worked for two companies during that time. So I have a long high degree of loyalty. And those two companies were pretty exceptional. And I would say both of them, Morningstar and the center, have also shown me, you know, what it's like a better way to do business.
0: Um, Mm. Yeah, that's a great, great way to look at it. And you have been kind of spoiled. Um, (laughs) I would say (laughs) so.
2: I had a very high bar um, coming from Chicago back to Metro Detroit. And I didn't think that I would be able to find a company as unique as Morningstar. Morningstar is a really special place. Um, it was, uh, you know, they they just have such a great culture of appreciating individual investors and educating them and the team. I mean, they were one of the early um, companies that offered, you know, flexible vacation policy. And every four years, you get a six-week paid sabbatical and you know, very generous parental leave. Um, so I, I wasn't sure I'd be able to find something like that when I moved back. And I did, <laughs> I did, and I couldn't believe it. And I count myself lucky every day that I found the center.
0: Yeah. Um, can you think of an unexpected learning from an unexpected source somewhere along the way?
2: <laughs> Gosh, when you ask that question, it make, it reminds me of that quote, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. I think mm. is how it said it's like Aristotle or Socrates or someone like that. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I think back when I was, you know, a stock analyst or maybe in my first leadership role, I I always I oh I can be a manager. I know what you know, it's you always look at other people doing it and you wonder, oh, I could do that, or I I would do this better. And then when you're actually in it, living it, and you're like, wow, this is hard. It's not easy. And the more you learn and know, um, I think the more you know, you don't know. So that has been surprising to me. Uh, but I guess also humbling and comforting and that you don't have to have all the answers as long as you have the right intention to keep learning, keep trying.
0: That's right. That's right. That makes complete sense. Um, now, as we go along the way somewhere, you get married, right? And um, and I don't know if it was right after you got married, but you and your husband took quite a long trip. Tell, tell me about that.
2: Yeah. So um, when we knew that we wanted to move back to my home state of Michigan to have a family and lay down roots, we knew we were going to move back and that we had to say goodbye to our Chicago lives. Um, but we wanted to, before we moved back and lay down roots, um, we decided to take a year to travel around the world. And we went to over 50 countries in a 12 month period and, you know, backpacks and Airbnbs, trains, and buses, and um, it was it was incredible. And it's funny to look back on it now, where we have you know cutting the lawn and to, taking care of two toddlers. That it's like, oh, remember that year that we were, we were traveling carefree around the around the world? It's, it's it's hard to look back on that now, but I'm sure glad we did it.
0: <laughs> what kind of leadership lessons came out of that? I bet there were some things that you experienced incredible that you were able to take that year and do that trip.
2: Oh. I I think I just felt during the during the trip I think I was struck just it, by the beauty of our world and of humanity. I mean how kind people were everywhere we met. How kind they were to us. Um learning about all their different cultures and And you know different people's rituals and um, practices and how they live their life. Things that I wouldn't have known anything about. You know, just staying in my bubble. Um, I think that that was. I I, that's probably a leader. I mean, there's probably a leadership lesson in there somewhere. But um, just appreciating people and um, how how the goodness in people. I think is is what I've learned.
0: Well, considering what the last few years have. been like in this world it's um i think you were lucky to have had that experience when you did and just you know realize the kindness and humanity that's that does exist in the in the world um isn't always in the newspaper um but but you guys were able to experience it uh in a very special way um and uh how how old are your kids now
2: I have a, a five-year-old and a three-year-old, Okay. and they'll never believe that mom and dad did that <laughs> before they were born. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, and uh, I know it was just a few years ago you went through the leadership academy. Um, how, how do you balance it all? How do you how do you how do you do all that? I, you know, especially with uh, two toddlers.
2: Oh man, well it, it, you don't balance. I don't know what's what is the word. It's not work-life balance. It's harmony, and that's all you can hope for. And you, <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes it's not a harmony, it's a cacophony or something like that. Um, but um I I'm so lucky and this is part of the reason that we decided to move back um to to have such an incredible support network in uh, Michigan. We have um so many grandparents that are that help with the kids, uh, that are all retired and um we actually made the decision that my husband who has um a really impressive background of being a cpa and a financial consultant that he would um stay home and take the lead with the kids so that i could work so i am in an immense position of privilege compared to others um which greatly helps me but i'm telling you it's still really hard having two little ones and work and uh, um you know all the responsibilities on top of it i i think most people in in this phase of life just know it's it's hard
0: oh yeah it's hard No matter what the circumstances are, it's hard. And like you said, you've woven it together um, very well with lots of support around you. Um, When when you think about um, the center, which um, really has been involved in small giants for a number of years and uh, people going through the Leadership Academy, what what do you think makes the company continue to be special today?
2: Oh, yeah. I would say um, a few reasons. The first is... Uh, we we have a mission of improving lives through financial planning done right. And what we mean by improving lives, it's for our clients and for our team. So that mission-driven focus really is the lens with which we make any decision. You know, what, what should we do? Is it in client and team members' best interest? Yes. Okay, easy. Um, I would say so that mission-driven focus of improving lives um, and then also financial planning done right, which I alluded to earlier about all of our, planners are certified financial planners. There's a lot of things that are kind of unique to our industry that we're, I think we're pretty special at. But um, just the fact that we're an independent wealth management um, company nowadays is pretty special. Um, a lot of firms are now part of larger um, RIAs or larger banks. So being mm-hmm. independent still at our size is, is unique and special and a testament to the vision of our founders and our current partners. I'd also say, you know, the prevalence of women in our firm is pretty special. Um, the, our industry has a pretty abysmal record for women. Um, you know, the CFA I mentioned I'm a part of, less than 20% are women. CFPs, less than 25% are women. We've always mm. kind of broken that mold at our firm. Um, so I think the mission driven focus we have, you know, just like I mentioned before, a great culture at Morningstar, the same is the case at the center where a commitment to the, our people and, you know, growing, and growing our own, supporting them through professional development and, you know, all the phases of their life. Mm-hmm. I I think that that that's helped us um, be the, the place we are today.
0: Yeah, I like both the internal and external focus. Uh, what what would you say is maybe one of the hardest or most humbling decisions you've had to make as a leader?
2: Hardest decisions? Um, gosh, I would say going through COVID um, as a business leader, especially being a firm director of operations. Um, that was, a re- that, I mean, not it, I know it's not over, uh, but the, I would say 2020, um, that was really a really difficult year. Um, you know, COVID hit when I was on maternity leave with my now three-year-old, and um, I came right back in the thick of it, not knowing what was happening. You know, in the world with the with the disease, um, but also you know, with with financial markets in in um, volatility, um, and then of course having thousand clients, thirty team members, everybody had their own opinion on <laughs> what. You know, how you should respond to the pandemic and everything, so it was it was hard. Um, you know, I spent hours and hours and hours and hours working on our COVID policies, how and how we were going to you know, our remote work policy, our operations policy, and I still, you know, felt like I couldn't get it all right or you know would make mistakes left and right here. but um the two things made it easier. I think the first is that I was going through the leadership academy that year and mm-hmm. that i think it, going through the leadership academy where you learn you know more than anything the message of the importance of putting people first people before profits you know focusing on people in the totality of their lives that was so important for me to hear during that difficult year i think it definitely shaped how i reacted to the pandemic and and the positions i advocated for um and then I think the great firm culture that we have, you know, so we decided to create an employee-led committee that gave input on all of our COVID decisions that was made up of people that were not in, you know, normally a decision-making context. Just generally the culture of putting people first that, that we've been lucky enough to establish here helped lead our guiding principles for how we would respond to, you know, whether it's you know, just COVID disease policy at our firm or just remote work or how we do client meetings or how we do, you know, mail staffing. Um, I think that that was probably the hardest decision or period with some kind of thoughts around, you know, how I responded to it or or how the small giants played a role in that.
0: Yeah, well, I don't think anybody's figured it out. Um, you know, the, the best part about it is that you sought input from the team, um, as you go through it or continue to go through it as the case may be. Um, and, uh, um, yeah, you, you went through a, you know, completely remote, uh, leadership academy. So mm-hmm. that was, that was hard to do, but I, I like the lessons that you got out of that. Um, Lauren, if you think about what part of leadership that you still need to improve upon, what comes to mind?
2: Gosh, you know, I, I would say that, I think of myself as a good executor. So if you think about, you know, like the we we follow um, EOS from the the Traction book by Gina Wickman, and you think about the idea of like an integrator. I, I feel like I, I'm good at integrator skills. I'm a in the Myers Briggs. I'm a J, so those types of things come naturally to me. Um, I think I could do a better job on some of the bigger picture ideas rather than mm. just working with our team to, you know, execute tasks or projects and get things done. I think I need to improve on, you know, constantly connecting to the larger vision, articulating the why, connecting it to the values or our overarching goals. I think that's something that I still have a lot of room to improve on.
0: Yeah. Well, that's something that um, takes practice, but is definitely something you can learn. And, and I'm sure you're already doing that um, along the way. Don't, don't undervalue the uh, the value of a great executor or integrator <laughs> in the EOS term <laughs> um, that, that goes a long way. Um, and and lastly what kind of advice would you give to somebody that's just starting out Lauren I mean you've you've done a lot there's a lot more to come. Um, you've gone through lots of education you've been you've only had two jobs so to speak um, along the way. Um, But you've really progressed in terms of your leadership journey. What would you say to a younger person that's really kind of just starting out in their career, whether it be in financial planning or not?
2: Hmm. I would probably say be more concerned. This is the approach that I took. um, So I'm obviously biased, but (laughs) be more concerned about finding the right company rather than finding the perfect role. So if you had to think about, like, make sure you're on the right bus rather than worrying about which seat on the bus you have. Um, I That's been my approach. Um, and you could tell the glowing way I talk about both the firms that I was lucky enough to find um, that I think that that is something that that has worked well for me and I would probably uh, recommend to others.
0: I think that's just great advice. And, um, and I think I've done... Well over a hundred of these, and that's the first time that's come up. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I love that. Um, so let me end, um, Lauren, with these five quick hit questions, just like the association game. Just tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. Uh, but h- how about if you name a leader that you look up to?
2: A leader that I look up to. I'm gonna cheat and say the center's three founders. <laughs> <It's> leaders, <laughs> like I would. Uh, their their names are Estelle Wade, Marilyn Gunther, and Dan Boyce. Um, I think that they, you know, 1985, founding a financial planning firm when the industry itself was in its infancy, and having two of the three founders, especially back then, being women, is a testament to all three of them. Um, and they really, their example set us up for the firm we have today, and also. Along those lines, a shout out to our current managing partner, Tim Wyman, who's really carried on their legacy to allowing us to grow and be independent and have our, now we're in our third generation of ownership when I mentioned that that's really rare in our industry. So
0: yeah, those are great examples. How about a great book that influenced your leadership style?
2: Oh, you're going to like this one. (laughs) I would say um, Small Giants by Bo Burlingham. Mm -hmm. I, um, when I heard about Small Giants, I read that book, and then later I participated in Leadership Academy, it felt like a light was shined for me on those Mm -hmm. things that, you know, you asked me about earlier about my values, about excellence, but also commitment to the greater good. And it was just a way to feel like that books and this philosophy of the Small Giants community just put words and a framework around something that I, I wasn't able to before, but just felt so right to me. And knowing that there's a whole community of people that have come with the great work that you've done, Paul, as a result of that book, it is it's just been so powerful for me as a leader.
0: Yeah, I felt the same way when I when I read that book. I said, I want to be like those guys. Uh, <laughs> how about your all-time favorite movie?
2: Movie. Okay. Well I've only watched Disney movies now with my toddlers, but <laughs> <laughs> um I do love musicals. So like Sound of Music or even, you know, Hamilton is now on Disney Plus. Those are those are usually my favorites.
0: Yeah, that's a great one. Uh, do you have a, well, I don't know how much time you get for this, but do you have a favorite TV series you like to binge watch?
2: <laughs> um, my husband and I are big game, we're big game of Thrones fans. We read the books and watched it all the way through. So usually I would say Game of Thrones if I had to answer one. But
0: Yeah, that's a great one. And lastly, what's something about you that many people don't know?
2: I probably would say the fact that, um, you know, my husband and I, that one year around the world triple down. Everybody knows if I listen to this, but that would be something that most people don't know. And knowing me, like I said, I'm a pretty much uh, safe, conservative person. It's kind of out of character for me to quit my job and travel around the world. So a lot of people are surprised to hear that.
0: Yeah, incredible experience. Uh, well, this has just been great, Lauren. I, I want to reflect on some of the things that you said that, that touched me. Um, and, and a lot of it to me has to do with um, self-awareness because you were and risk, you know, um, and you may consider yourself conservative, but I think you were able to take some risks along the way by knowing yourself, you know, just how as a stock analyst, you felt kind of isolating, uh, isolated in that role. You want to be able to help people close to you with information that would be helpful to them. And that got you into this idea of financial planning Um Interesting how your firm approaches this holistic approach to clients that, that, you know, you don't necessarily have all the resources in-house, but you put a team together that makes sure that all of those are covered. And um, I think that's really important. Uh, The the fact that you knew that you always loved to teach and train and thought, you know, someday you might be a professor. uh, So even from at Morningstar overseeing the stock analysts, that's really what drove you Is this idea of serving people who serve people? And um, some of that came from your family uh, who created the values of hard work, good grades, achievement. And I can just picture you as a very good student growing up. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, The youth pastor who said, you know, at the same time, you want to work for the greater good. And so, um, you have been very fortunate so far to, to look for and find special places to do your work uh, with uh, Morningstar in the center, um, that there is a better way to do business. There's different ways to do business. Many people um, who we talk to have come from places that were not so good and had to make the, endure that for a long time or make those changes um, and, and even just hearing about Morningstar, having a great culture with, you know, unique benefits, the sabbatical, um, some of those lessons that's taught you that the more, you know, the more you realize you don't know, it's just an ongoing journey, right? Um, before you move to Chicago, the, the, taking that jump to say, uh, we're going to go visit, everywhere in the world or as much of it as we can. And, and for you and your husband to have that life-changing experience is something I'm very jealous of. And I'm sure anybody that hears this will be jealous of as well. Um, I like how you talked about work-life balance and it's not really work-life balance. It's just harmony. And what do you put together in order to create as close to harmony as you can? It's, it's obviously very hard. You're fortunate to have family to support you husband who's at home um, who allows you to do what you do. And it's just a, a great combination. Um, uh, I like the the mission that you talked about for the center, you know, improving lives um, it, from a financial standpoint, not just the lives of your clients, but your, the internal folks as well. So you have that both internal and external approach. Uh, the biggest challenge, COVID, right? I mean, that the, has been the the biggest challenge for many people. Still, kind of going through it, but but I like the approach of an, an inclusive approach of getting through that that challenge. Um, I'm I'm proud that that what you learned from the Leadership Academy was this idea of um, no matter what leadership is about, a per- people first approach. It's about caring about people in the totality of their lives. I'm sure that's what you've done during COVID. Um, to help everybody get through just an unprecedented time. And um, if that's the one takeaway, the biggest takeaway from the Leadership Academy, I'm very happy about that. Um, and yet you realize that, that while you're a great executor or integrator in the EOS world, that you need to be reminded to come back and look at how the work that we're doing today is connected to the larger vision of, of the company. And that's just through repetition, and that's through those, those one-to-ones or through quarterly meetings or planning sessions um, where we, we meet with everyone in the company. and We talk about how overall we're making the, the world a better place. Um, and I love finally the advice you have for younger people to find the right company, not the perfect role. Because um, <clears throat> so many young people I talk to will take that job, take that next job. The job sounds good, not really even thinking that much about the company And um, and there are small giants companies out there, you know, whether it's the center or others, you know, we don't always make the news, but we're making a difference in the world. And if you take some extra time, if you're patient, if you ask the right questions, um, find the right company, that role will be there for you and you'll be able to thrive in in terms of what you do. And so um, I think especially now where people want something more people are not just looking for a paycheck people want to make the world a better place they want to live with great cultures they want to have that flexibility um that if you're looking for a job look for a company look for a company and the job will come i think that's just great advice um so lauren it's just been great lots of tidbits here for for listeners no matter what industry they're in and i want to thank you so much for being on the podcast.
2: Thank you so much, Paul. It really is an honor to be here. And thank you for all the work you and the Small Giants team do.
0: Well, thank you. And thanks for listening to this episode of the Growing With Purpose podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about purpose-driven leadership, go to smallgiants.org or follow us on Twitter at Small Giants Buzz. Until next time.